2: Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, Charles Schwab Challenge, DraftKings Picks, Millionaire Maker Preview, maybe some showdown tips along the way as well. If you out there want to get into a draw for potentially some a lot of millionaire maker tickets. You got to follow me on Twitter at the PME. That's where I'm going to be doing the draws. Also smash the like button for the episode. Give me your favorite player in the $6,000 range. And don't be scared people to download the Pat Mayo experience, audio podcast, leaving a five-star review and something you enjoy about the show. Plus if you want more in depth knowledge, because when you see the graphics pop up on the screen, if you're watching the video, not the audio version of this and just listening, because then you would be seeing nothing. Whatever you see out of your eyes would be then. either way. FantasyNational.com is powering all of the stats and that's where I'll be generating all of my lineups this week and here's the thing FantasyNational.com is free until Thursday so if there's ever a time to go check it out use it to build as many lineups on DraftKings as you want uh, I would suggest go doing that right now after it goes back behind a paywall if you enjoy the site get yourself a discount by using FantasyNational.com/mayo and boom get yourself 20% off it's that easy joining me to break this all down, sharing the same screen because we are having extreme technical difficulties. First, we have Ben Raza from AwesomeO.com. We also have Rick Gaiman from RickRunGood.com and CBS Sports. Rick, you said the CBS Sports podcast is going to like every day now?
3: We're going daily. We're giving the people what they want. Uh, We've heard the calls. So, yes, instead of three or four times a week, it's daily through what seems to be at least the tour championship. So a lot more stuff coming.
2: Uh, Ben, I saw a ton of stuff come out at What What's the the schedule now that golf is back?
3: Yeah, we are. We are
4: pumping it up since golf has taken the stage. Uh, I'll have shows Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, you know, live before lock. And then obviously behind the paywall all the tools, the Slack chat, everything up and running, ready to go for the season.
2: Uh, You can find my cheat sheet, which will come out on Tuesday afternoon up on DKPlaybook.com. I penned like 4,500 words on this tournament. Uh, So we don't need to relitigate everything that's going on in terms of rust. We're just going to talk about who you should probably play in the DraftKings Millionaire Maker or just who are the best DraftKings picks for the week on this show. But I do suggest checking out Monday's show with myself and Jeff Feinberg. You can find that in the description of this show, as you can, for my research show that I released on Saturday, my first look going through using Fantasy National, trying to find all the key stats. Uh, a few, there's a bunch of people got added into the DraftKings system uh, on Monday. Sergio Garcia being the number one of those, he's now eight thousand dollars in the system. Brant Snedeker is out of this tournament, so don't use him unless you're playing me in a head-to-head. Let's go to the top of the board. Let's kick this off. We have Rory, Justin Thomas, John Rahm, and. Bryson DeChambeau they are the very top players the top four in terms of pricing on DraftKings Ben can you construct a lineup that doesn't have any of these guys in it and still potentially win
4: oh definitely uh this is a major level field that was the thing that stuck out the most when we got everything uh this is you know a couple guys obviously Tiger Decky, but other than that this is loaded so of course these four you can make an easy case for any of them or or even two of them but you can also make a case for just building very balanced and starting in the 9K.
2: Yeah, Rick, what would you think you would end up doing? Would you go with two of these guys in the $10,000 range? Or do you think you would be more likely to fade all four of them and just start with, like, Webb Simpson or Xander Shifley?
3: Uh, I'm more likely to fade. Honestly, at this point, I have just convinced myself of the narrative that the leaderboard come Sunday is going to be completely upside down and that you could, if there was ever... A case to be made about fading any guys especially the guys at the top it would be this week so with the plethora of good golfers that we're seeing in the nines the eights even the sevens i will be much more likely to start my lineups down in like you know webb simpson xander ricky Fowler territory
2: you see i was thinking the same thing because i don't love a lot of like the low sevens like if I could find a way to make my cheapest player like seventy four hundred dollars, I would feel a lot better about that. But it's really hard to look at this field and these field strength has been compared to like the BMW Championship or the FedEx Cup playoffs. And when you look at those FedEx Cup playoff events, it's usually legit players who end up winning them. So. You know if you have the four most legit players. Well, I mean, Bryson's not really in the tier of Rory Rom or Justin Thomas. But let's say those three players. Like, I think a lot of people will just say, "I you know I need to have at least one of those guys." Then figure out the rest of my roster. If that's the case, Rick, who is it out of those top three guys? <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean, I I love Rory McIlroy in every possible scenario, but I I don't think that he's like one and a half times as likely to win this golf tournament as as, uh, John Rahm or twice as likely to win over, you know, Justin Thomas, which the Vegas odds somewhat indicate. So I, I like Rahm. I think, you know, Rory has really overshadowed how good John Rahm has been. There's an argument argument to be made that since the U.S. Open, John Rahm is one of the hottest players on the planet. He's the only guy of these three that has course history at Colonial with a, a second place finish in 17, a fifth in 2018. He missed the cut last year, but this this to me feels like an opportunity to get a guy who has just as much upside for a little bit cheaper.
2: Uh, for me, Ben, I think I'm going to Justin Thomas in this spot. If I'm going to pay up a little bit more, I just think that trying to construct a roster with Rory on it. Well, if Rory wins, you're going to obviously need him in your lineup. So now you're just praying Rory doesn't win. And Justin Thomas finishes better in that spot. But I just think overall where you get that price discount, the rest of your team is just going to be better with Justin Thomas as your most expensive guy.
4: No doubt. You're getting anytime you can get a, a discount and an ownership discount and and you have world-class players. It's, it's pretty appealing. So you're going to save $1,200. You're going to save ownership. Both of the, those, those things you can spend elsewhere. You could take a chalkier player down low, and you don't have to dip as as far down. So I'm on board with Rom or JT. Rory, of course, I'm going to have exposure, but if he's clearly the highest owned of the three, and I think he will be, it's going to be tough to get a lot of leverage.
2: If people out there want to get a better sense of ownership, there is an ownership projections tab on FantasyNational.com. I would suggest using that as late on Wednesday as possible. That's when the ownership percentages have matured a little bit more, but I'm doing a live chat Wednesday noon 30 so 12 30 p.m eastern time on the DraftKings youtube channel it'll be up on the audio feeds after the fact if you just want to listen to it back i'll have my final card for the picks my first round leaders a weather report uh it's going to be really hot and not windy at least that's how it looks right now uh we'll check in on wednesday and see how that goes but i'll be going over a lot of the ownership then but what i'm seeing right now ben is that all three of those guys are basically going to be about even and no one's really using bryson
4: Yeah, well, Bryson, if we can rope him in, he would be my favorite of the four. Uh, He is another player who's playing really well. He's dismantling. I know off the tee here isn't overly important, but that guy right now is dialed in uh, with the driver. And his course history is terrible, which I think is going to depress the ownership. I don't worry about that at all. I think Bryson's just a different player right now. Uh, I throw his results out completely.
2: Yeah, what do you make of Bryson, Rick? I bet Bryson, after his odds fell, he he opened at 22, then he dropped down to 25. I was like, yeah, I'm in. And he was the one guy I was kind of targeting this entire time over the layoff, being like, he was playing so well, I know he's going to keep up whatever the hell he was doing. He's going to be practicing. He's going to be on Twitch half the time, too. But (laughs) this is one of these mechanical courses where it's going to take a lot of strategy off the tee, a lot like we're going to see next week at rbc heritage that i think this is a proper type of course for him i wouldn't have any problems going with him but you always talk about squeeze pricing and he's the guy who's getting squeezed here because everyone wants one of the top three guys and everyone wants webb simpson so it's leaving bryson in this like weird dead zone
3: yeah, love it. We've we've been banging the drum for for Bryson for a couple of months now, and uh, this is this is not an an easy course by any stretch of the imagination. It's it's the seventh most difficult course on tour. Last year It was the third most difficult, par seventy. Uh, what Bryson has done, and and I call him a dork all the time, and he is, but like it's working. You know his his off the tee game from January first to now. It's a very small sample, but if he keeps that going, it'll be the second best off the T season ever recorded since they started keeping track of it. Like that's how good he's gotten off the T. So yeah, yeah, sign me up for as much Bryson. Like, I think he's just going to not skip a beat, uh, hit the ground running as soon as we get back to golf.
2: Yeah, that's sort of the lean that I have to. So maybe I fade the top three and just end up going to Bryson. But Ben, uh, you have had the most success uh, being a DraftKings player between the three of us. So in an opportunity like this, where let's say you're playing in the Millionaire Maker and there's 170,000 entries in it. So those are the teams that you're competing against. How does that change the way that you're going to construct lineups uh, this time around? Because it's not a major. So we're dealing with, it's all it's all like the players in the way that this was constructed although we didn't get all the way through the players but how can i word this properly do you have to take your shots because there's like a few guys in the eight thousand dollar area like four of them that no one's going to own that i think that you probably just have to roster out of ownership alone if you actually want to have a chance to win i was reading your article up on osmo and you kind of spoke about this more eloquently than i just did
4: so there's definitely something to that uh Just think about it like this. When you have 170,000 people, if you have a player that is 5% owned, that means 8,500 people still have them. Uh, This is not like when you're in a hundred man and someone's 5% owned, you have five people and now you know, you can pretty much build whatever you want around them. You're going to be unique. Uh, You have to kind of combine ownership and try to project, okay, if I start with Bryson and then I loop in I'm just going to throw out Patrick Reed. Now, what am I looking at? Do I still need more leverage with my other four? Or do I have a path to victory if they come, say, one, two? Uh, you just have to have that mindset because it really is a hybrid winner take all. Uh, you have a third of the prize pool in first place. Yes. Would coming in second be nice? Of course. But you are it's a $900,000 difference. So you really have to build with the mentality that you're trying to win the entire tournament.
2: And one of the things that I wrote about in my column this week, uh, as it pertains to the millionaire maker, is that if you play, let's say you play all the chalk players. And by chalk, I mean just the most popular players. It looks like Webb Simpson's going to be the highest owned player. And I, I love Webb Simpson this week. It doesn't mean I'm not going to use him. But if you do use him and you pair him with, uh, let's see here, Sung Jae and Matt Kuchar <laughs> and Daniel Berger and Harris English, and you have that lineup, your path to winning is basically nil because if the chalk does hit now you're competing with like 20 percent of the field essentially and have the most minute chance of doing now you might not like playing some of these contrarian plays that are two three percent ownership because you, know, you have the other guys rated higher but your path to victory is actually better if those guys come through like if they're the ones in contention you actually have a shot at winning just because Webb simpsons in first place you might not even cash if that's the case
4: it's a super fine line. And Rick, I know you've spoke about this in the past. Like, you know how you can get leverage? You could pay, play Keith Clearwater and that would be a disaster. You don't want to do that. But if you have golfers that are, say, in your mind, 60-40 as an underdog, well, if you're getting 150 ownership, that's a great play long-term. Uh, you know, they're almost a coin flip and you're getting one-fifth of the ownership. So it's a really fine line. Don't just play six 1% owned guys. They're 1% for a reason. But don't be afraid to pivot off a chalk play here and there, and in the milli, maybe a couple of them to really make sure you're unique.
2: Yeah, one of the biggest things that, like, when you're trying to go contrarian in these spots, I would say... Could make the like the, the line of de- demarcation seventy five hundred dollars. Like if you pivot off of a eighty three hundred dollar player to an eighty two hundred dollar player, the chances are that those guys are probably pretty close in skill set. Like once you start getting into like, oh well, you know, there's a highly owned guy at seventy two hundred dollars, maybe you don't play him, but I think if you're going to try to go with like the really low owned guy and you don't have a whole lot of faith in it, at least you know the higher price players are usually a lot better, Rick.
3: Yeah, for sure. I think you nailed the big point. I don't think people realize the razor-thin margins that that some of these guys are. I mean, I'm looking at 8,900 dollars. Mark Leishman, 88. Gary Woodland, 87. Tony Finau. They are like most of the time very similar players. They're going to pop off. They're going to maybe be top five in some situations. They're going to miss the cut, but they're going to they could come in at, at completely different ownership levels. So people really get. Um, it's almost like emotionally attached to certain guys that they want to be playing. And they, they conceive that they are a much better play than the guys that are either a hundred dollars more or a hundred dollars less. And that's simply not the case. It, It may pan out that way on Sunday, but like over time, these guys are super, super close.
2: And this is what we're talking about in terms of the Millionaire Maker this week, or even like the giant $5 where there's 45,000 entries. But Ben, I won a ticket in last week's UFC 250 card. I won a ticket into the $555 tournament this week. So I'm playing in that against 2,000 other people. If you're playing in a 2,000 and less, or even like the $100 single entry, which I think has like 800 people in it, how does the mindset change a little bit? Then like, should I be playing... Essentially, a cash game lineup, like a safe lineup? Or should I not be afraid of Chuck, but have like one or two pivot plays along the way?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think people, especially in single entry, I think people are way too conservative. They just throw their cash lineup in. And to me, that's a big mistake. Uh, you know, in something that's 2,000 people, that's a nice size number where you can start to isolate pretty quickly. You know, a, a 10% guy that's only a couple hundred people, uh, you start pairing them or leaving a little money on the table. You're not going to have to worry about dupes. So what I tell people a lot, you know, if you have one bullet in it and you want to be somewhat conservative, build your cash lineup and then take two players and 2v2 it, something like that. Uh, You want to be more aggressive, do a 3v3. You can start with that framework, but I don't think the best move uh, is to leave a cash lineup just because it's very obvious and it's going to be duped regardless
2: nine thousand dollar range this is where a lot of the names that people want to jam in are going to be sitting so it's going to be likely one of the top three and then immediately into this range and then way down into the seven thousand dollar low eight thousand dollar area webb simpson is the top price player in the nine thousand dollar area i also expect him to be the highest owned player potentially in this entire contest 9800 brooks is 97 Xander 96 dj 95 ricky fowler 94 sung jay 93 patrick reed Ninety-two Morikawa, ninety-one, and Patrick Reed—or sorry, not Justin Rose—comes in at nine thousand dollars. This range is tricky for me because all I really want to do, Rick, is play Webb and play Sungjae and Xander and be on my way. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's fine. I mean, there's a reason. Like, I, I agree. I think Webb's gonna be super popular. I think Sung is gonna be super popular for a reason, right? Like Webb's awesome, he's already a winner this year. And I like the fact that he's kind of like I don't want to call him a short game specialist. He's just not very good with his driver, but his short game's unbelievable. And there's a big difference between ripping drivers off a mat into your net in your driveway in front of your launch monitor, than there is like getting in tournament conditions uh on the side of a green where you know the, the green running into, that's a much trickier shot. So that's where I think a lot of this rust shows up. And if I get guys that are really good at, at, at the short game, like Webb Simpson is, that's really appealing. Um, Sungjae is unbelievable. The, the fact that he goes out and wins Honda at 21 years old and backs it up in the next week with a third place at Arnold Palmer, instead of just like getting drunk and going crazy and missing the cut, like is it's insane. Uh, but I do think there is leverage to be held on, you know, even DJ Brooks Kepka, guys that we think a break might have benefited Like, that's appealing. You can kind of go anywhere you want here and and just play the game theory situation.
2: Well, Ben, that's why I wanted to have that conversation before we got into this area and the 8,000s, because I think that this is what we're going to see. Like, I don't want to play Brooks. I don't want to play Ricky. I don't want to play DJ, but neither does anyone else. Like, I know these guys are going to be significantly lesser owned, and at their peak, like, Dustin's a better player than Sungjae. He's a better player than Patrick Reed. But right now, in my mind, he's not, but I don't know that for sure, right? (laughs)
4: Yeah. Again, I hate to say the same thing, but it is a fine line there. You know, if you are convinced web is my number one play on the board, well, don't fade him. then work around that figure something out with your other five spots. Now it's easier for me. I don't like web at all in this spot. Uh, so naturally, of course, I'm going to fade him when he's really popular. I'm going to go right to Ricky. I'm going to go to Patrick Reed, uh, Brooks and DJ to me are more high upside Millie type plays, but it's hard to know where those floor floors are for them. But Ricky and Reed on bent I feel very comfortable mixing them in. You could even start with a guy like Ricky and be very different, or they could be your second man in after a Rom or JT type.
2: Uh, what do you make of Morikawa? Like he never misses I, the cut. He hits every no, fairway he and he hits every green and regulation. Now, if he misses a green and regulation, his short game, not great.
4: No, he is really tricky because if he has not putted at all and he still had pretty solid results, assuming it flips even randomly at some point, he should have some room for upside. I'm going to probably pivot to Justin Rose. That's just naturally what I do. I go usually macro over micro. And Rose is someone that I know he has struggled so far, but maybe the break got some things fixed at 9k it's pretty appealing for me
0: yeah
2: rick i think it's kind of misleading so justin rose switches back to taylor mater at least that's the rumor but when he missed the cut at the arnold palmer invitational he was actually striking it fine off the tee he was killing it on approach but lost five and a half strokes putting in two rounds like if people are looking at it like oh he was a disaster he actually wasn't from a ball striking department but he's had a lot of these flashes recently where he's lost a bunch of strokes putting
3: yeah. And that was the one thing that he figured out to get him to the world. Number one, if you flash back three or four years, it was, he was a great ball striker. He couldn't putt when he learned to putt, he became the number one player in the world and immediately then signed with Hanma and switched the whole thing up. It was like, it was crazy. Now you know, I think it was, I'm looking at it right now. Nine of his last 11 measured events. He lost strokes off the tee as well. That's very not non-Justin Rose. And yeah, it's the, the losing 5.6 putting at the tour championship, losing five putting at the BMW, another five and a half at Arnold Palmer. That's scary, scary stuff. I, I believe. And, and I, I think Ben agrees with this based on what he said, this, this three month break to get Right switch back to your tailor maids get all dialed in is like that's best case scenario for this guy
2: so i I played this kind of interestingly on the betting show i had made mention that i saw him floating at 45 to 1 and i bet him to win this tournament i think that he can win this tournament i just don't know if he's like the ownership isn't going to be so depressed on justin rose that it's like oh well no one's using justin rose i'll use justin rose and be wildly unique like i think that he's going to come in and double digit ownership and at that point it's like well i have this bet on him to win i think i can go to safer at least to a player that i think is either lower owned has more upside or at least just has has a decent floor bend like i just don't know what to do with justin rose i don't know if i want him in my DraftKings lineup same as dj like they, they're in the same bucket for me
4: yeah and you really don't have to evaluate every play purely on like some guys it's just truly what do you think of them um you don't have to worry about ownership it's going to be somewhat middling and, and and let the other plays dictate that so rose for me I don't really have a strong take. It's more Morikawa. I think will be squeezed. I like Reed. I like Rose. Um, and then you know, there's plenty of guys in the in that high eights that Rick alluded to earlier with Leishman, Woodland, Finau. They're all going to garner interest too. So. Not everyone can be mega popular. Something has to give.
2: Well, I think that's what we're going to discover in the $8,000 range. And for the record, I'm playing Webb and Sung I'm just going to see how I can (laughs) differentiate the rest of my lineup. And it's in this range. So you go Leishman, Woodland, Finau, Lowry, Kucher, Scheffler, Jason Day, into Matthew Fitzpatrick, Louis Oosthuizen, Spieth, and Garcia. That's your entire $8,000 range. And there's weirdly some sort of like, oh, this is the Jordan Spieth renaissance. Like I've heard his name, be brought up way more often than i really would have thought uh, coming into the week but there are like four guys in this range that no one wants a piece of it's shane lowry jason day matthew fitzpatrick louis and even sergio because he was a late add to the field his ownership is gonna be like three percent so i think that if you do want to make a stand either taking one or two of these guys in your lineup or even mixing in three of them. If you can pick the right ones and they actually do what they're supposed to. Like Shane Lowry is a top 20 player in the world. Louis inside the top 25. Like these are good players. They're just wildly inconsistent and no one wants to play them this week in particular. So I think that if you can figure out which one of these guys is going to be the one, I think these guys are the key to actually winning this thing or at least giving yourself the best chance. man. I think for me, it's Lowry and it's Fitzpatrick.
4: Yeah, for for me, it's Jason Day and Fitzpatrick. Uh, You know, Day is someone we'll see where the health is. But just to see him at 8,300, I still believe in the upside there. I think that he's going to string together some good golf, and this is going to be the lowest we see him. Uh, So I'm going to go there. And I do think and say what you want. I have no, obviously, data behind this. I think people, though, are even more scared of guys like Day and Usti because we have like Is anybody going to withdraw, you know, especially this (laughs) week? Um, And that's the first guys you think of. Like, I'd be lying if I said, man, rostering day. Like, it just feels like if someone was going to withdraw, it'd be him. Uh, But there's really no basis for that. So I'm pretty confident that I'm going to go to these guys. and, And like you said... You don't need forty percent of Jason Day. You're going to get over with a, a low percentage, and you'll be very comfortable.
2: Uh, what do you make of the bottom half of this eight thousand dollar range, Rick? Like, are those the guys that you would identify as people aren't going that direction?
3: Yeah, I mean, outside of Jordan Spieth, I mean, like, I, I'm guilty. <laughs> I'm guilty of it too, right? I, I think that this is a you call it a spot game in other sports. This is like the one shot to try to get Jordan Spieth right now, and if he goes back to being what we what we saw in in I don't know the last 18 months. uh, We can forget about it for a while, but this is kind of that perfect storm situation. Uh, I I do think that Sergio is just, he's not just a, he's just not a popular player in general. Plus you throw in the late ad. I know it's still early in the week. I know there's a lot of people who haven't made lineups yet, but any of those first looks because the pricing came out so early would not have included Sergio. He's not going to gain a lot of steam throughout the week and nobody really likes him anyway. I think, I think that's kind of a a natural place to go. And then you nailed it, Pat, Um, you know, Shane, Lauer at 86. That's a guy who gains in uh, all three categories except putting but he's like a barely negative putter on the season plenty of upside that's th- that's kind of where I'm going here in the 8,000
2: so as it pertains to Shane Lowry I actually threw in a bet on him to win at 70 to 1 because I'm horrible at betting this week and I just got <laughs> too excited and wanted to bet everyone so that's don't worry about me in the betting side but for this tournament like he's played really well at Heritage in the past which is another one of these tree-lined shorter courses obviously he. One at Firestone, which is another pure accuracy course, realistically. And for whatever reason, Lowry can just show up in these, like, really strong fields and pop. Like, it's kind of stunning from time to time when you're like, oh, man. Shane Lowry actually won this tournament, like this high-end tournament. It's like the shitty tournaments he doesn't do well in. So I think that he is the guy who could be the key to unlocking all of this, uh, for me at least. And like around the green, he's very good. Like he's an inconsistent player, but the one thing I did notice about him is we've just spent three months off. But looking at like his weird layoffs, like he took six weeks off from the end of the European tour season to play the Hong Kong Open, came back, finished in second place. Uh, He took like another eight weeks off at the end of last year came back came in third like the layoffs don't really seem to bother him at all and i don't know if that's fool's gold or not it's two events but it is worth noting that it doesn't seem to bother him at all
3: he's a gamer dude i mean he he you know obviously wins the open championship he finishes t8 at the pga i mean even a top 25 i think he had at the u.s open which is some place i didn't think was a great fit for him and he's an absolute gamer and yeah it's weird he'll show up at the top of the leaderboard and i'm like oh holy crap i forgot about shane lowry and you look at his world golf ranking and he's he's legit so uh yeah i i certainly think he's sneaky and you're gonna get him at i don't even know something very low in terms of ownership
2: yeah i, I think just on the surface ben like I like him better than Kucher objectively. I like him less than, well, Leishman I'm kind of spotty on just because he has no accuracy off the tee, and that's really going to hurt you here. But, like, Woodland and Finau are probably objectively better plays than Shane Lowry at the same time. I don't think it's that big of a difference. It's not six times the ownership difference kind of thing.
4: And I like Woodland that's, a lot. And that's what I'm saying. That is what you really need to evaluate sometimes. Like, if Finau is 25%, And Shane Lowry is 5%. You're saying, all right, does he beat him? Is he that much more likely to beat him 5X? I'd probably say no. Um, You don't need to go there, of course, in every lineup. And there are other guys. I probably am going to prefer to take shots in the lower 8K range with the guys we mentioned, you know, Day and Usti and Sergio. But... No doubt you're going to get the ownership there with Shane Lauer. He's probably going to be the lowest owned of them all.
2: So between Rose, Leishman, Woodland, and Fina, that upper AK, and at 9,000, Ben, is it Rose for you? Because it's Woodland for me if I'm going to be using one of these guys. It's
3: Rose for me, yeah. Rick? Yeah, also Rose for me. I, I got him at 50 to 1 as well, so fingers crossed. <laughs> What do you make? I mean, Ben, I would ask you what
2: you make of Louie, but I know that you're going to use him because you use him (laughs) in every tournament. Rick, what do you make of Louie?
3: Oh, man, it's been really bad for Louis. I mean, he's got a much smaller sample size than a lot of these guys in terms of strokes gained, but he's been been bad. You know, the miscut at Honda, 51st at at WGC Mexico. You can at least hang your hat a little bit on a fifth place uh, finish here at Colonial two years ago, but it's, I don't know, he's just weird. I can never find the... I don't know what the right word is like the cojones to like roster this guy. I don't know. It's just, he never, he never moves the needle enough for me.
2: Um, I'm never a Matthew Fitzpatrick guy, but when I was looking into him, like, I just think logically this course suits him a lot. He's an accurate player good short game he can get a really hot putter going and i think that's more important to assess once we get down to like the very bottom of the seven k's upper sixes like is there one particular skill that a guy can have to be like oh he's just lapping the field and that's one thing and i think there's a few putters down there that if they put to their upside it's like game over they they can do whatever and linger around with some of these actual like good ball strikers and players but fitzpatrick ben when do you think the last time you missed a cut was
4: fitzy uh i mean i don't know but he is a consistent type player and i know he's come over here and played pretty well has experience against fields like this so uh what what was it i can't even conjure a guess
2: he missed the cut at the estrella dam n a and masters hosted by the sergio garcia foundation in spain well if i was gonna
4: guess obviously it would have been that but um what the hell is that? I never even heard of that. It,
2: it's like a Sergio, like, goes over, like, him and Rom go over and just, like, dummy the field against, like, a bunch of scrubs. <laughs> Somehow, Fitzpatrick missed the cut. He's missed two cuts in the past two years. So, between 2020 Sam. and 2019. And the other one was at Pebble Beach, not this year, or the year before. So, he, like, if you need guys to get through, it does seem like he's going to be there. It just takes one hot round with the putter, which we know he can do. And if this course, Rick, plays as difficult as it has the past few years, then the Lowry's and the Fitzpatrick's of the world, I think that actually benefits them.
3: Yeah, and look at these fields and, and tournaments he's contended in the last couple of years. Second place at last year's Arnold Palmer Invitational, fourth at the WGC FedEx St. Jude, ninth at this uh past year's Arnold Palmer Invitational. Those are deep, uh, very strong fields. And the API gets played on a course that uh can beat you up. So that's what I like to see when you're when you're talking about the strength of field and the strength of the course that we're gonna see this week. He's another one of these gamers. He shows up and he can grit his teeth and he can uh be on the front. First page of the leaderboard come Sunday.
2: Uh, we kind of skimmed over Kucher and Scotty Scheffler. I just don't have a ton of interest. Maybe I should. Like, I really wanted to bet Scheffler this week if he was going to be like 90 to one, but he's 40 to one. And I just bet I think that everyone's going to use Scotty Scheffler.
4: Yeah, I don't have, you know, you can't have a strong take on everyone. If I landed there, I'd feel fine, but not really forcing it. Kucher's always, I think he'll be pretty popular in cash, but in tournaments, there's so many pivots that are higher upside up. I kind of lean rolling the dice more than going Kuchar.
2: Uh Rick, do you think you're going to use any one of these two guys? And if so, who would it be?
3: It would probably be Kuchar. I'm a much bigger fan of Scotty Scheffler, but yeah, already we're seeing his ownership looking like it's going to be pretty large. The good thing that Scheffler has going for him is that he makes a ton of birdies. I think he's like fourth or fifth on tour in 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 like birdie average, which goes a long way in DraftKings King scoring. He makes a lot of bogeys too, don't get me wrong. Kuchar has decent course history here. He's probably going to come in at a lower ownership. I'm not dying to get either of them in my lineups, but if you made me choose, I'd, I'd unfortunately have to opt opt for Kucher.
2: yeah i think i'm just gonna go full fate on both of them and try to spread around the risk with the fitzpatrick lowry and maybe i'll try to pick between sergio louis and day whichever one i end up liking the best maybe there's someone in these high seven area that we can go to like when you look at the high seven thousand dollar rick does anyone just immediately stand out
3: Yeah. I mean, the logical, the logical guys, Daniel Berger, right. But he's going to be everyone's logical choice. He's coming in, in in great form. He's trying to get back to, you know, that top 25 ish type player that we saw a couple of years ago, but uh, Victor Hovland sitting there at $7,900. He, he played a little bit over the break. He's only a handful of starts removed from beating a, I know it was an alternate field, but a <laughs> PGA tour field uh, runner up to Scotty Scheffler at one of those like caddy charity events over the, over the break so he's someone who we've been touting how good the upside how good the skill set is for this kid for the last couple of years and uh, now he can kind of show it to us a little bit
2: yeah rick i look at harris english i look at daniel berger and i just think i the world is going to be on those two guys and i don't think that they're more skilled than the guys around them I, i don't i get why they're popular like the recent form has been really good but like are you really telling me that harris english is significantly better than nah or kisner
3: yeah, no, absolutely not. That's that's the difference that we were talking about a little bit earlier is how much better are these guys that you're investing at a three times ownership or a potentially four times ownership? Like, I don't know what Kevin Na comes in at, but Kevin Na, everyone in the world talks about upside. Kevin Na has legit winning upside, two wins in his last 18 starts, including this event last year. That is legitimate upside that there are guys in this range would, would love to sniff and they can't sniff it. So I I'm, I'm with you, Pat. I will, uh, not be on a lot of the, the Daniel burgers as much as I like him. Harris English, great play, but not for me.
2: Yeah. Ben, when I look at it, like Damon at 75 is the only one who really peaks my interest from 75 all the way up to 8,000. And I might not even play him.
4: I'm just, you know, it's really rare. Normally what we talk about is oh, you know, obviously when a guy wins the tournament, he's going to get a huge ownership. Kisner and Na have won this tournament, and they're <laughs> not the guys we're talking about. I, I, When I think of this tournament, I think of Kevin Kisner. Uh, I vividly remember him winning this tournament. His skill set, this is perfect. You got the bent grass. You have the certainly not a course that demands length off the tee. He can win strong fields. He won a WGC. Uh, I feel pretty good with him at 76. And if Berger and English are gonna soak up ownership that is just incentivizing me to take the guy that i know likes this track considering you he won here
2: i i get that he he likes it here i just don't like where his game was going into the break maybe yeah. he has that all figured out i don't know but like i think the big thing is with the english is even like max hama is in this range he's gonna garner some pub because he's like a celebrity on twitter and people listen to his podcast good show by the way i like him and Shane bacon but you know i don't know if i necessarily want to populate him in my DraftKings lineups especially because of that that when i look at the bottom half of the seven thousand dollar range like i don't see why these guys i mean i you have to make people a price but like there's a bunch of guys at like 7200 who are no different than kevin kisner like isn't adam hadwin just basically kevin kisner
4: I think, I mean, I think the sevens are notoriously interchangeable like this. Um, You're going to look and you're going to see a lot of guys that you can mix and match. I think Benny on is going to be very popular, but there's a million plays around him. I'll throw out Ian Poulter, who was playing well before the break. I think he sets up well again, and I don't think people like to play him. So I'm going to, it's hard because, uh, you know, we're all kind of doing this and it's hard not to. Guys who are playing bad, it's like, oh, do I want to trust them? Guys that were playing good, if you like them, you say, well, they were playing great. It's hard to know what recent form even is, if it's anything at this point. So that that's a work in progress evaluating all these
2: guys. Uh, Rick, in this range for me, I really, really like... Billy Horschel at $7,400. I'm talking myself into Joaquin Neiman at $7,400. I like Hadwin at seventy three, And then we go down, and I really like EVR and Corey Connors at 7100 I think that's where I'm more likely to go. Full fade on Ben Ann. I can't have him breaking my heart the first week back of golf in three months. I just can't do it
3: that would be a welcome sight. That Welcome back to golf. Benny on loses three strokes putting every <laughs> single day would be like exactly what I would expect. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think to Ben's point, a lot of these guys are interchangeable. There's, there's guys that have built-in narratives, Ryan Palmer, the member at colonial, he's going to probably get a little bit of boost because of that. You know, Joaquin Neiman already a winner this year. People know the name. I, I think Abraham answers kind of interesting. He's one of the few guys in this price range that gains in all four of the strokes gains categories. Um, you 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 know, played really well on home soil to WGC Mexico. And this is not necessarily a course that is going to require a ton of distance off the tee, hence your Kevin Kisner winners. Um, So he's someone that interests me. But I, I think the larger point here is is Ben's point, which is. Yeah, if, you, if there's someone you can find a, a reason to like and get into your lineup, it's, it's going to be really hard for me to convince you otherwise because of the interchangeability.
2: Yeah, I, I'm good with fading Ryan Palmer if he's going to end up being popular because I think that him and on will be sort of like the English and who was the other guy that everyone's going to use English and... burger burger of like the lower seven thousand dollar range so uh answer to i I do think that answer will be somewhat popular but i I can get on board with the logic behind him Uh, i think that was well said rick but you have other guys here ben that like in my mind fit the course really like why doesn't cam smith fit this course really well
4: (laughs) well cam smith doesn't fit golf in general well at this point (laughs) but that's neither here nor there I, i don't know what to make of him i mean you say oh well he won in 2020 Look at those stats. He gained eight and a half strokes putting and another uh, handful around the green. I I don't know what to make of him. I will say he's shown up in strong fields over the years. That's not going to be a problem, but God, it's tough. There's a lot. I mean, you have uh, the South African Bezenhut right there who was playing really well. We don't know really how good he is. And then Bubba's in this range who (laughs) Kind of just sticks out, but I don't even know why. I think maybe an aggressive bomber stacks that are counterintuitive. I may use him, but overall, I'm going to keep it pretty simple and go with things I feel more comfortable with.
2: Yeah, you have Knox and Ryan Moore, who in like just the actual skill sets that yeah. we've been talking about, the Kisner type player, even like the Hadwin type player. There, they hit fairways. They don't really putt all that well, but sometimes they do that maybe that they can come through the weird guy in here. And this is like the the most pure run hot GPP play of all time, Rick. Danny Lee at seventy two hundred dollars over the past five years actually has the fourth most strokes gained at this course.
3: Yeah, it's crazy. And I feel like we're going to get a uh, we're going to get like a Danny Lee 62 in one of these rounds. Uh, I don't know when it's going to be or what he's going to do in the other three, but it's going to be something it's going to be something wild. I I personally do not like the the bottom of this seven thousand dollar range. I think it's filled with kind of has beens, which is like Phil and Bubba Watson, guys that that really never were. I I might just default to, uh, you know, hashtag team no putt. Keegan Bradley, Corey Connors, uh, I, I I can't get myself to Emiliano Grio, but, like, those guys that uh, at least can get you to the green and then hopefully you catch a hot putter for a couple of days, uh, it's, it's really a dead zone for me.
2: Well, Ben, he kind of hit on a, a key name. I know you're going to use Grio for reasons, uh, and I assume <laughs> yeah. you're going to use Jason Duffner as well. Like, you use these guys in regular weeks, and this is, like, a spot for them.
4: Yeah, I mean, Duffner was someone that I, I was – Pounding before, and I thought he was really building to something. Uh, Gr- <laughs> Griot, I don't know what to make. So, he gained somehow, I don't remember this, but he gained 10 and a half strokes putting here a couple years ago. And for him, I mean, he hasn't gained, he, he'll never gain 10 strokes putting cumulative, uh, because he never gained strokes putting. So, maybe he does like this bent grass for some reason. The problem with him is the rest of his game is also very bad right now. His around the green game is broken, but it's worth a shot. And it's mostly because of what Rick said. I don't like the bottom of this range. I think these are dart throws at best. Uh, Maybe EVR I feel a little more comfortable with, but other than that, I don't think any of these guys you can feel too comfortable with. So if I'm going to do that, like I'll I'll use Grio in some of those spots. Yeah. Can I
3: can I give you a Grio stat here? Always. So, yeah, his best ever event, the 10.7 he gained uh in 2018 at the Charles Schwab. This event is like 3 of his 12 best putting events ever. So maybe he's got good vibes there. It is kind of <laughs> crazy.
2: Oh man, I I don't know how comfortable I would feel putting Griot into a line. Maybe that's the point of this because like we talked about Knox, we talked about Moore who are kind of in a similar ilk, although those guys hit fairways really good with wedges. But then you also have like Shez Reavy and Jim Furyk who are also exactly the same type of player here.
3: There's a, uh, there was an event in Sea Island uh, over the weekend that had some PGA guys, some Corn Fairy guys. It was like, you know, Adam Shank, Jim Furyk, Harris English was there. There was some Corn Fairy guys. Furyk played pretty well. I think he finished like eighth or ninth uh, game. Uh, you know, we, we don't have any eyes on it. I saw the scorecards, but uh, game seems to be not terrible. Well, there
2: was another guy who was there, and he's only $7,000, and this hits on... What I talked about is, do you have an option where someone can kind of go nuclear, especially on the greens? I think JT Poston's that guy. He, I believe, he was fourth. He won the team competition with the guy who ended up winning at that Back to Golf Challenge that you were talking about at Sea Island. <laughs> yeah. But when you go back and look at the courses where he's had the most success, like he won the Wyndham Championship last year. He's played well at Honda. He's played well at Sony. He's played well at Heritage. These shorter courses are what he does well. He hits a bunch of fairways and he plays short par fours really well over. The the past 50 rounds coming into this event he's actually second in this field on holes from 350 to 400 yards we're going to see four of those this week so if you can just get him to be like, okay, off the tee, okay, on approaches, okay, around the greens. And then you go look at what he's done on the greens. Like he's gained in six of his past seven events, but in four of those over that time, he gained at least three and a half strokes putting. Like that's pretty good. Like that's the type of long shot guy that I want. Like he's going to be the guy that, you know, someone texts you over the weekend being like, Oh, there's Rory. There's Dustin. It's like, who the fuck is JT posted? Like who's this guy? And then they'll have to ask Ben and he'll be like, well, he butts a lot
3: it it his results have been like oddly consistent he's been he's finished between like 11th and 40th in like eight of his last 11 events like he's he's i don't have i don't know how much upside he's got he's got a little bit uh but he doesn't always kill you i mean it's 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 kind of weird this is a a, an interesting box score to, to run through
2: ben did i talk you into posting
4: oh yeah i'm a i'm a big jt posting guy um you said it he can hit a lot of fairways. He can get hot with the putter. And this is kind of a, you know, a putting competition when it comes down to it. Um, and this range is is pretty weak. I think people are, you know, Charlie Hoffman and, and guys like that. Uh, I'm not really sold. Norin is there. That's a dangerous game every time. So easy sell for me. And and I
2: don't think he'll be popular. So let's try the $6,000 range. There's not, there's not a slew of great names down here, but I got two uh, i think one's a safe guy and one is an absolute dart throw that for whatever reason i'm just kind of behind this week so ben you tell me about these two guys one the todd father he's won in texas before we know that he's won twice this season and like posted if someone's just gonna go bananas on the greens it's him and he like hits more fairways than anyone else on tour so he has that for him, too. He's pretty solid. He missed the first four cuts of this season, and he's made every one since. So maybe he's not, like, the upside guy who won back-to-back weeks in the swing season, but someone who could potentially top 20 here. And people think of him as a Bermuda putter only, but he's just as good on bent grass as he is on Bermuda. So I like Todd at $6,800. The other real wild card here, I think, is Matt Wallace, because he could win this tournament, because he's Matt Wallace. (laughs) So
4: Matt Wallace is... Really dangerous. Uh, When you look at guys, this is where I think lineup construction is so important. If you're in the six K range and you say, I got five guys, I think they're all really live to do serious damage, win the tournament. I just need a six guy to find the weekend. I don't think Matt Wallace is the play, but if you're saying I have a lot of coochers up top, I I feel pretty good that these guys are going to make the cut, but I want some more upside. Matt Wallace in terms of, you know, top five equity win equity for these type of players, I think is towards the top. Uh, Now, my guy is Bud Cauley. I really like the spot for him. Playing kind of like J.T. Poston, very consistent, hasn't popped. Got cut here last year, but he lost five strokes putting, gained four tee to green. I think his game, really good scrambler, can get hot with the putter, is a secret little $6,800 play that I may use to leverage the back end of my lineups.
2: Looking at Bud Cauley's stats here right now, and people can just go click on these players on FantasyNational.com if they want their course history in recent form guy is killing it on approach like it's yep. kind of shocking this is not the bud collie i remember like 3.9 2.5 3 2.2 2. 2, very good around the greens i mean he's not the best off the tee but you know maybe he can hit it like he's not he's a lot like webb like he's bad off the tee but it's not it's due to a lack of distance it's not because he's putting it in the woods every time so interesting what do you make of that rick
3: it, it is interesting because uh, even in the one round at the Players Championship, he gained nearly a half, a, a shot and a half on approach as well. So, I mean, he really is hitting his irons well. Um, I knew as soon as Ben said my guy, I knew he was going to say Bud Collie. That He'll was say. like the absolute lock. Um, I, I personally really do not like this area as well. I, unfortunately, if I, if I want to try to get one or two of the, of the top guys, I'm going to have to go down here. The one that stood out to me for purely listen, we're coming back from a three month break from a pandemic. I can pick a guy and have really no reasons behind it. And now's the time. Um, J- jazz, Jaina Wadanand is $6,500 uh, that was a correct, correct pronunciation of that. And he is the 39th ranked player in the world. Which you can argue they can game the system for the official world golf rankings. But if you look at the other guys that are in this range, they're ranked anywhere from 150 to Chris Kirk is 511th in the world right now. And Jazz was over here during the break playing mini tour golf. I don't think it's drastic to say he's played more competitive golf in the last three months than a lot of guys in this field because he was on the Outlaw Tour and the whatever tour and everything else over here so uh 6500 bucks to like just make the cut how about jazz
2: i mean why try to get a guy who can make the cut when at basically the same price you can take see C- him who could win this tournament <laughs> or come dead last? there it is there it is yeah. when's I the last time see
4: might- won? Yeah, I know. Siwoo is, he's just, he has, his used to be all or nothing. Now he's just like middling at best. He doesn't even have the craziness anymore.
2: Yeah, but go look at the places where Siwoo has played well over the years. Like he lost in a playoff at Heritage. I would say that's probably a comp course. He won at Wyndham. I would say that's a comp course. He won at TPC Sawgrass. I'd say that's another shorter course where like, it seems like his eye fits these type of courses better than any other types of courses. At least in my mind.
4: I I thought you were going to bring up Jimmy Walker. I'm not going to lie.
2: No, uh, Tway at 67 is just someone who's played well at this course for whatever reason. Like he had a bad API, but he had been a lot like Bud Cully, just kind of crushing it on approaches over the past little bit.
3: I don't mind that. There's a lot of guys here. I I don't remember this at all. Siwoo was tied for second at the Players' Championship after that first round. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is absolutely wild.
2: (laughs) I don't remember that at all. Like if I'm playing 20 lineups, could I use like two with Matt Wallace and two with C Wu and just be on my way?
4: I mean, you'll be down to 16 lineups, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, again, I think it's really about how you're trying to leverage. If you do that, you need to know. Uh, all right. This is pure, like, I, I'm trying to get paid off here, and I'm going to be a little more conservative up top. Like, I think it'd be a huge mistake to use them with, like, Shane Lowry in a lineup. That wouldn't make a lot of sense to me.
2: Yeah, they would be perfect to pair if I wanted to go web, even Justin Thomas. Sung J.M. Yep. or Webb Sung J.M. right off the top or, you know, and then add Finau into that mix or Woodland, one of the other popular players that I make my pivot down at the very bottom. Uh, a lot of risk in those lineups, though, as you mentioned, like at the very top, like there are guys like Rafa cabrera Bayo, good player, hits a lot of fairways, really good with wedges, played really well at St. Jude one year, which is another similar style course uh, on Ben Grass where you want to do a lot of this. Like Victor Perez, wh- what are we doing with Victor Perez, Ben? Like... <laughs> Isn't he supposed to be good?
4: Uh, that's what they tell me, but I I have trouble with guys like that. I tend to be too late, or and then I, I'm priced out if they get paid off. It's so hard. I mean, this is a guy that I've seen in Europe, and I've seen him a little in WGCs, but I I can't really tell you what type of fit he's going to be over here because we just haven't seen it really in these type of events. And we've seen guys, you know, uh, Lucas Biergaard comes to mind. They come over and... You know, they get into these traditional, you know, top 65 and ties type plays and they really struggle. So I think I'd rather take RCB or CT Pan or certainly Bud Call a lot of other flyers before I go to Victor Perez.
2: Well, Rick, what about your guy? You're always on him,
3: Lonto. Okay. Yeah. I, I just figured that we pull my string. I can repeat like the Lonto line about when he's under $7,000, right? Death taxes and Lonto under 7,000. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, we, we, we saw a little bit of the upside. He went out, went out and won what Houston, which feels like a million years ago at this point. Um, but yeah, he, he's fine at 6,900. What about, um, we always talk about this guy, Andrew Landry, 6,400. He won a golf tournament like five starts ago like it's kind of it's kind of crazy he, he's another one of these guys that will be um he will like have the best round of the day like once or twice and then we'll follow that up with two 77s or something like that
2: every time that i roster andrew landry he is absolute dog shit and it's always the worst. Like, oh, he's two shots within the in the cut line with four holes to go. And Then all of a sudden, it's like double, double. He's done. I remember watching him, very vi- following him around at the three M Open last year, being like, all right, Andrew, just don't hit it in this bunker. It's like, oh, he's he's buried in the bunker. Thanks. And this is, and it's weird because he's won in Texas before. He yep. hit he hits like every fairway. You think this would be a good course for him, but. I, I just don't think I can pull the trigger. I think I'd rather have, I, it's because very personal bias, I'd probably rather take Siwoo Kim.
3: Yeah, that, that's the Andrew Landry experience. That's what I pay the, the price of admission for, is to watch him explode and, and implode for two rounds every every week.
2: Ben, I kind of want to play ZingZooZang too, but I, probably not the uh, time. Probably not the time.
4: Probably not. That's like me with Cam Davis. I'm like, oh man, he finally figured it out. <laughs> I got to go right back to him. I don't think this is the time. Uh, Again, you also have to think about, I I know it's appealing to play everyone, but you also have to think, what are the chances if I don't play this guy that I get burned in any significant way? Like, yes, they might make the cut, and they might have been a play that wouldn't hurt you and even maybe help you. But is your week going to be over because you don't play, say, Cam Davis? Uh, That'd be pretty shocking to me. So (laughs) you can be pretty selective down here and be all right.
2: Uh, In terms of early ownership, no one really sticks out in the $6,000 range. I think that everyone's having a lot of the same issues that we're having. Like, do you really want to play any of these guys? Von Taylor is a name that's like showing up with a bit of ownership. Charles Howell III just will have ownership because he always does when he's this lowly priced, but I I can't think of anyone else. Andrew Putnam is a guy that people really like. It does seem.
3: This is the range that we usually just try to find like a guy who's been on like a good Two week run, and he's got like two top twelves, and we're like, oh, maybe he can keep it going this week. Well, we don't really have that, so it's it's even more of a dart throw than usual.
2: Okay, so that's everyone we got going on for the DraftKings pricing. I want to talk DraftKings showdown for a second, Benjamin. Uh, I wasn't normally going to play it. I, I'm very selective where I play DraftKings showdown. It's usually at multi course venues when people don't realize that there's an easy course and a hard course, and don't just stack the easy course because. For whatever reason, that doesn't occur to people. Here, uh, I've talked about it. I've wrote about it. I don't think I need to go on ad nauseum about it. But there is a bit of a runway for players playing on the back to start. Everyone starting on the 10th tee, I think, has a better chance at a birdie streak at the turn going 17-18-1-2 than they would starting out on one. Like, Do you think that's enough for me to go and like, use that strategy and play showdown?
4: Uh, I think you know it's definitely something that you can glean a little edge from. We'll see with the weather. Uh, obviously, that's a very traditional showdown thing you're you know usually going to take some guys in the a.m. over the p.m. if everything is equal uh I'm with you Pat I I normally play showdown heavily when we have a three-course rotation and people don't understand the difference but with a week like this we can see who maybe gets off to I'll be more apt to probably play on Friday when I see a little bit I just don't even know what to expect from anyone on Thursday nothing would surprise me
2: yeah, and one of the big keys to showdown that you can use is basically just look who was riding a hot putter around one, to fade them or see a guy who was definitely ball striking the hell out of everything and couldn't make three foot putts. I mean, if you just use Fantasy National slash Mayo to get that discount the live leaderboard will be available to you in real time once you go onto the site on Thursday and Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So if you want to play along try to build some showdown lineups, you can use the lineup generator for that too once you select your players or if you just want to live bet or play head to heads or whatever it might be, that's an Essential tool that you need to use rick what do you make of this millionaire maker and it's in the 555 as well of the low round of the day bonus
3: It's very interesting. Um, uh, First of all, I applaud DraftKings for the innovation. I think the innovation is great. I think in general, what is likely to happen in the Millie is uh, you're going to get a very small payout, potentially less than a dollar, if one of your guys uh, in your lineup uh, is the low round of the day. Now, it's much more appealing if you're playing the 555 and there's only 2,000 people in it, but I don't know how many people are doing that. But yeah, this is... I wouldn't be trying to game the system. I'll tell you that, Pat, especially not in the Millie maker, where you have to get a 1% guy to solo be the leader for the round. And that would get you $28 per lineup. Uh, If you do that in the 555, it's $1,250 per lineup. So a lot to ask for someone with a low ownership to be the, the, the low leader on a single day and then if you split it it's even worse so i wouldn't try to game the system but cool innovation
2: uh ben in the 555 or and even in the millionaire maker the split's going to be so large it's not going to make a difference in the millionaire maker it could literally be pennies if Webb simpson has the low round of the day but going back to that sort of contrarian lean trying to find a pivot play like in the 8k range guy like if if i have shane lowry on my 555 team and he's two percent owned like all of a sudden i didn't try to game the system, to get the low round of the day guy, but the way that I constructed my lineups just led to that. I think that's just more of a best-case scenario of what happens. I wouldn't even pay attention to it.
4: Absolutely. Uh, for th- Just think about it logically. If you think a guy might be the first-round leader, uh, <laughs> you probably should be using him, regardless if there was a bonus or not. Like, if anyone is hitting that for you, it should have been someone in your player pool anyway. So it's just an added bonus of, wow, I got this guy really... Uh, possibly under owned and maybe you get paid off immediately from it. But there is nobody in my player pool that I am using that I wouldn't have used if this wasn't a thing.
2: If it was the masters and they had this, would you use Charlie Hoffman automatically?
4: <laughs> yeah, he would be a hundred percent owned uh, and it would be hard to argue with that.
2: All right, guys, anything else to add before we get out of here?
4: Golf is back. It's yeah, don't overreact. I- I'll tell you whatever tournament is next week. Yeah. Don't overreact to that recent form. Uh, I'm going to be saying that a lot because people are going to take whatever happens here and say, oh, well, DJ, he's the best player in the world again if he plays well. So don't overreact to one tournament.
2: All right. Rick, tell everyone what they can expect to check out once again at rickrungood.com.
3: Yeah, uh, updated a lot of tools. The database continues to grow into European tour and PGA tour data back to 1980. And then uh, we are doing a ton of stuff on CBS Sports, whether it's the First Cut podcast, which I, I host with a, a couple other guys, or going on the CBS Sports Network. There's like wall to wall PGA coverage um, for the foreseeable future. So it should be a lot of fun.
2: Ben, once again, what, when are the live shows at Osimo going every single day?
3: So we got a show Monday at 1
4: p.m. Eastern, 2.30 on Tuesdays with me and Fantasy Golfman and then a live before lock Wednesday night. So we have that, obviously the articles, Alex Baker's projections behind the paywall and all the tools associated with the site. So hope to see you guys sign up. It's a great time. Get in slack and have some fun.
2: All right, I'm Pat Mayo. You can follow me on Twitter at the PME, which I suggest you because I might have some Millionaire Maker tickets to give away. Smash the like button on your way out and leave an audio review after you subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience podcast. Cheat Sheet up on Tuesday afternoon. Live show, 12.30pm Eastern Time on Wednesday where I'll be giving out all my final picks, updating the weather, the ownership, and taking your viewer questions. Go check out the other shows, too, up on the Pat Mayo Experience feed. If you, hey, I always wanted to play DraftKings because, you know, golf was happening. We got the UFC show. More football coming out for you on the Pat Mayo Experience. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. Pat
3: Mayo Experience! Experience!